Hello friends, welcome back to Meg Living Inside Out. This is episode three of our series on marriage, the language of respect. Now before we jump into this podcast, I have two addendums to my advice for singles episode. And the first one is, young men, you must treat the woman that you are pursuing like she is the only woman on earth who could ever make you happy. I understand that the market is very competitive right now, that there are very few godly women like choice jewels, but, and I get that you're desperate, but you cannot come off as desperate. You cannot do it. Don't do it, bro. You'll ruin it. Whatever woman you pursue, you need to lay a foundation of making her feel special, like she is the only one. So that's my advice for young men. And then young women, only ever let yourself be interested in a man that you admire. Somebody that you think and say, man, they're awesome. Look at how hard he looks, works. Look at how, um, look at how joyful he is. Look at how sold out he is for Christ. Look at all these things that are admirable about him. You want to start your marriage off respecting your husband. And you get to choose who you submit to. And I, <laughs> I'm going to talk about in this episode a lot about respect. And so choosing who you respect is very, very different from some of the default Our entertainment industry is not good at explaining this. They're good at the sales pitch for romance, but they're not good at explaining what respect is, the language. So yeah, we're going to talk about that today. There's a thing in retail that we call a pity sale, and it's where someone feels bad, so they buy the product. That is not a good foundation for marriage. So you do not want to go in into marriage with someone, with a man, because you feel bad for him, or, yeah, it's just, now there's ways to remedy that, um, I, I don't have enough experience to assist with that, (laughs) um, I'm, I talk about lots of other things, so this is not my specialty, um, but hopefully in this episode we're going to talk about respect, and there will be some practical things that you can apply, um, Uh, to your situation. Um, All right, let's get into the scripture. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. His body and is himself is savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body, therefore a man 
shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. I have two disclaimers to this podcast, and the first one is, if and possibly when I offend you in the course of this episode. Um, Number one, I'm hoping that you're listening to this. This is not the first long-form content of mine that you're listening to. I'm sharing this in the context of my marriage series. So there's two episodes before this. Um, And then I'm also doing this marriage series in the context of the rest of my content. Um, So if I offend you at some point, and it's too much for you to handle, set the episode down, walk away, get mad at God, talk with him, get mad at me, it's fine. I This is an audio recording, and it, it, it doesn't have feelings to get hurt. Now, if you come up my comment section and say nasty things, well, we might have a different conversation, but if you just talk to God about whatever you're feeling, that that's good. That's very healthy. The Psalms are full of that. Um, but I would challenge you, come back and finish the episode. It might take you a day or two, a month, a year and a half. doesn't matter. It's an audio recording. It doesn't have feelings. It can't take it personally. And I, I won't take it personally either. So, um, but I would challenge you to finish the podcast because there's a very good potential that I will say something later on that will balance out whatever it was that offended you. I'm trying to cram a lot of information into basically an hour here. Uh, That is my window of opportunity today. So um, thank you for your patience as we discuss all of these things. Um, My second, I don't know if it's a disclaimer so much it is a a (laughs) addendum or note. Um... This week has been one of the hardest weeks in my marriage. And um, God is very consistent that whenever he calls you to talk about something, he makes sure that you are very personally acquainted with that topic before you start speaking to others. So, um, yeah, this week had the hardest day that I have experienced in my marriage thus far. And by the grace of God, Ben and I are doing fantastic. Um, Hard things were said. Kind things were said. um, Hard and kind things were said. And thankfully, we didn't say anything that we regretted. Um, And those conversations are very necessary in marriage. And quite frankly, I don't know how live-in boyfriend-girlfriends do it um, without having that commitment of marriage saying we are going to work through this no matter what. Um, and I do understand that commitment is very terrifying for that reason. Um, and, uh, it, it can also be very healthy to take a break from your spouse and get a little distance, get a little bit of space so you can think clearly and sort things through and rail at God if you need to. Um, yeah. So with those two 
kind of addendum disclaimer notes. Uh, Here we are. Let's jump into this podcast. So, the reason that we're talking about the language of respect is because it is not natural. Scripture telling women to submit to their husbands and men to love their wives kind of implies that this is not default for us. Um, Much to the entertainment industry's shame, like they're not showing us how to do this either. Um, And I, I don't know what kind of advertising you see on social media, but right now I'm having, I'm seeing a ton of these virtual reality not even dating games, but actually harem games on my Instagram. And that is so far from reality. And I strongly dislike them. And they are the new generation of romance novels, in my opinion, because they're training your brain in ways that are very, very unhealthy. And if you want to have a healthy marriage, you need to understand the language of respect. Now, this is kind of default for men. Um, Analogy time. When you have a healthy pack of dogs, um, there are different roles within the pack. And I don't remember them off the top of my head. But, um, you know, there's people who... there's, There's a role within the pack for a scout. There's a head. There's somebody who is very specifically breaks up fights and keeps the peace. You know... These dogs, there's a hierarchy, there's a very clear social structure. And all of that's communicated through body language. And it is modeled. And underneath all of that, there is the threat of violence. Now, this is not a bad thing. A healthy pack, all of those dogs have teeth and claws. And I have seen dogs interact with each other where they will put their open mouth around another dog's neck while making a aggressive sound but they're not biting down and they're just communicating hey you crossed a boundary and this is me demonstrating that I have the strength to enforce that boundary with violence if need be underneath healthy male relationships there is that threat of violence and it's not a bad thing it's a very very good thing it's intrinsic to the language that men use, which is the language of respect. At this point in my life, I have gotten to a place where I would rather be respected than liked. And that's a very interesting place to be because I love words of affirmation. I love people telling me how much they like me. And there are days on Twitter where I scroll around and I see, oh, that person blocked me. Maybe it was this hard stance that I took about something that God really cares about. Um, Maybe it was the way I interacted here or there. I don't know. I don't know why that person blocked me. But I know that I try to be as calm and peaceable as I can. But then when it's time to say important and heavy things, I tweet that tweet. And then I die on that hill. (laughs) And I'm not always a nice person. But when it comes to defending a baby's right to life... And, uh, you know, certain sexual standards. Um, yeah, I, uh, I'm, I, I'm, 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 I try to be a kind person, 
but I also am not necessarily a nice person. Um, so I would rather be respected than liked at this point in my life. And here's why. If you have mutual respect, even if you hate the other person's guts, if you have both mutual respect and trust, you can have a functioning business relationship. Now, that sounds very, very practical on my end, um, but I would rather have... <laughs> and there's a proverb that says, it's better is open hate than hidden love. And I don't quite understand that proverb, so... And I really should go look it up, but we've got too much time. We have too much to talk about and not enough time. Yeah, wait, reverse that. Um, that one. I would rather have open conflict with mutual respect than lovey-dovey and pretend to talk behind your back, actually hate your guts. Um, the wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. And I, flattery is very disgusting to me. Um, I, as much as I love words of affirmation, I don't want to be pandered to or buttered up. Um, and so, um, that's kind of where I stand with um, respect in my life these days. Um, now, all right. It's not natural. And so for us to have a healthy marriage, even if they don't use the word submission or respect in the context of their marriage, that person that has a healthy marriage will demonstrate submission and respect. So, um, hmm. Uh, first hard observation is that a husband does not have the same emotional energy as your girlfriends. Um, now, this is dependent on the couple. There are some couples where the wife is more logical and the husband is more emotional. But, and you people know who you are and you know how to figure this out. I, I believe in you. Um, but I'm speaking in generalities today. Um, so in general, a husband does not have the emotional energy to listen to a wife the way that a girlfriend can listen to a wife. And that's very important. And so my husband can emotionally support me with me only sharing kind of the thesis statement, the headline, and a summary paragraph. And in some instances, if he's really overwhelmed, it depends on the day, I'll just show him a picture that will communicate the information. Um, and he'll be like, oh, okay, cool. And then he can have the conversation. Um, and obviously, this is, this is in different seasons. There have been seasons where Ben, when Ben and I were engaged, there was a conflict I had with a leader. And Ben spent a lot of time helping me draft the email that I sent to that group confronting that leader. Um, and so that was a lot of emotional energy on his part. And that investment especially in that initial season of the relationship, really built my confidence that I could depend on him emotionally. Ben has very high emotional intelligence among the men folk, um, and I greatly appreciate that. However, depending on the season, he does not have emotional energy as much 
as he has in other seasons. And so I have to read where he's at and filter how much I lean on him accordingly. Um, obviously, <laughs> I I have girlfriends that I talk to and I process whatever life thing is going on and then I, I give Ben the summary statement. That's not disrespectful. That's me respecting the season that we're in, the, the season that he's in. Um, um, so, yeah. Okay, second big statement. Fathers are supposed to teach their daughters the language of respect. Now, we have a huge hole in fatherhood these days. Um, You know, we need men to show boys how to be men because it doesn't happen automatically. And we need men to show young women what a real man looks like. And one of the most important ways that a father teaches a daughter the language of respect is by being respectable. That requires faithfulness and diligence and sacrifice and no, honey, we can't afford XYZ because this is how much the mortgage is and this is how much the electric bill is and this is how much the water bill is and this is how much the gas price This is how much I need to budget for gas this month, depending on the gas price. And this is how much our car payment is. And this is how much the the loans, the debt that we're paying off are. Obviously, a father doesn't explain this to a toddler or a five-year-old. But a father lives his life demonstrating, no, we can't do that. But here, let's do this. And scripture, Ephesians 5 verse 22 through 33, which I forgot to tag at the beginning, but we're gonna just keep on rolling. Um, Ephesians 5 basically tells the husband, you have to be like Jesus. So yes, ladies, the Probs 31 standard is pretty intimidating. Also, she's an archetype. You don't have to be good at all that stuff. It's okay to sleep in. (laughs) It's okay to go to bed early, depending on the day. It's it's the principle of the matter. Like, um, and I really appreciate what Rebecca Merkel has to say about this in her documentary, Eve in, Eve in Exile. You know, our focus should be on the home. So if the Probs 31 standard is intimidating for us, Ephesians 5, Paul is literally telling men, you need to be prepared to live a dying life for your wife. My pastor said one time, it's a lot easier for men to think about, oh, I would die for my wife. But it's a lot harder to do the dishes. And there are some days where I have spent my physical energy on other things, hopefully within the home, potentially not. Um, As I've said before on this podcast, I spend a lot of energy on content for the internet. Um, And there are days where I need Ben to help me with the dishes. And that is really valuable and I really appreciate that. Um, The second way, to get back to our point at hand, the second way that fathers need to teach their daughters the language of respect is by nurturing them with love 
and requiring them to respect them. Now, these go hand in hand. If you require respect, but you are not nourishing and nurturing, you are going to raise children who obey resentfully. And, and and let's 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 talk about let's talk about Ephesians six for a second. This is literally the very next next verse. Paul is on a roll here about family relationships. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That word discipline there is very heavy and has a lot of challenging connotations basically our our the working definition of that word is not a positive one and to me at this point in my life the word discipline i have learned to think of it as i go to the gym 3 times a week or i i have a commitment to myself that or to my neighbor that I walk their dog these days of the week. Um, I a, Another example of discipline is that I try to put the dishes in the dishwasher and set it to run before I go to bed. And some people have the clean kitchen standard, and I, I can't always hit that, but if I can at least get some dishes in the dishwasher running so they will be clean in the morning... Even if there's dishes in the sink, dishes on the counter, crumbs on the counter, we have a roach problem, but please don't come at me for that. We're making progress. It's incremental. If I can at least start the day with a clean dishwasher, I am that much further ahead. I can empty the dishwasher. I can put the rest of the dirty dishes into the dishwasher and run it again. And I'm that much farther ahead, and I've broken up the effort. So that's an example of a discipline. It's it's a commitment to yourself it is or it's a commitment that someone else asks of you that is for your benefit um and historically my understanding of discipline was um spankings and loss of privileges and we often think of the consequences because we're not doing something but ideally the whole point of discipline is teaching you how to do something, how to work hard, how to, you know, there is, I, I have a discipline among my, in my own mind that I, even if I'm having a hard, discouraging day, I try to not whine at God. And I try to I try to um, not be sinful in my bad attitude. You know, I, I try not. I try to not be sinful and have a bad attitude with my rough feelings. So that's a discipline that I have for myself. Another, another words are hard. Another example that I have is when I am angry at my husband, not if, but when, he is a fantastic man that I respect and admire greatly. That's why I married him. But 
when I'm angry at my husband, I guard my mouth so that I do not say anything simply to try and hurt him. I, I, I have said things that are hard but truthful and kind and do hurt. But I'm not saying anything with the intention of just hurting him. So that is a discipline that I have on my mouth. Um, And then that is also a discipline that I have in my mind. Because whatever I think about on a daily basis and whatever I practice saying in my head, that is what is eventually going to come out of my mouth. And the sooner that you learn to control your thought processes... Now, I'm not talking about controlling your feelings. I'm talking about guiding your thoughts. No, we are not going to think about that. You know, if, if your emotions in your mind are like a puppy dog in your head and your internal puppy dog sees a squirrel, oh, there's a squirrel, go get it. Like, yes, we all have moments of that. But if it's one of those things of like, Ben did XYZ and I am suddenly really mad at him and how could he do that? And like I I try to have the self-awareness for my internal dog walker with my internal puppy <laughs> to hold the leash and not run after whatever squirrel is teasing me. So to get back to the main point. Fathers are supposed to teach their daughters the language of respect by nurturing them with love, being respectable, and then requiring respect of them without provoking them to anger and exasperating them, which is another translation that I like. Um, Something that's very important. Um, and we, we talked about this a little bit in the first episode on marriage, and I'm going to bring this analogy back. A man is to love and nourish his wife the same way that a farmer nourishes and nurtures a field. Now, there is not an agricultural person on earth, an agricultural business anywhere on earth, that requires... You have to have X number of, of bushels per acre. That is just not a thing in the agriculture and industry. No one anywhere requires a harvest of the farmer. What is expected of the farmer is to nourish the field. And that is what God and Paul, the Apostle Paul, is expecting of husbands in this section in Ephesians. However... There are Christians within the body of Christ who are part of the internet conversation who hold more to a control-based model. And the example that I gave for this is that a man is responsible for a dog and a man is responsible for controlling that dog. Now... This week, I had the opportunity to walk a foster pit bull puppy, and her name is Angel, but she is not an angel. She is a wild child, and she has a lot of things that she's afraid of because 
<clears throat> the reason that she's a foster is the people who originally got her could not take care of her. They could not discipline her well. They could not teach her that she was safe, that she was wanted, that she was loved. And she was, quite frankly, she was literally following people who were walking by. Like, she was out in the front yard, not on a leash, completely unattended, just following people around the neighborhood. And it was very stressful for my neighbors. So, this is the dog that I'm walking, and I care about her very much, but she is a stressed out little puppy. And when she sees a dog, and let's say that dog barks at her first even, and she decides to bark back and escalate the the conversation, so to speak, one of the things that I will do to both calm her and also show her, hey, I'm in charge, I'm in control, and also you're safe and you can be calm, is that I will pick her up and I will hold her in my arms. And so by holding her, I will physically remind her that she's next to me and I will keep my heart rate calm. Something very interesting is that the heart, the, the heart rate and the anxiety level that we grew up with, this might trigger some of you, so just bear with me. You might want to sit down. Whatever the baseline normal was of the people that we grew up with, if they had high anxiety, if they had high heart rates, that becomes our normal when we're children. And for us to calm down, we have to relearn what calm is. So in the course of Walking Angel this week, I had some opportunities to to show her what calm is and hold her and oh my gosh her poor racing heart so she's an example of a dog that I'm responsible when she's in my care I'm responsible to control her now let's say that there's a dog that's vicious and hurtful and hurts a child well people are more valuable than animals and and that dog needs to be dealt with in a way that is appropriate with whatever they chose to do. Um, and obviously there's... I heard one time a judge say that the hardest cases he gets are dog cases. Because you'll get some neighbors come in and say, this dog is the sweetest, most angelic angel dog you've ever seen in your life. And you'll have other neighbors who come in and say, this is the fiercest dog, the meanest dog, whatever. And the judge knows that it's not about the dog. It's about the relationship between the neighbors and the dog is simply the scapegoat. So please hear what I'm, the analogy that I'm trying to make and not a blanket statement about dogs. I love dogs very much. As you can tell, I have, I have multiple scars on my body from falling or tripping or, um, while interacting with dogs, um, (laughs) Uh, thankfully, really no no scars from actual dogs themselves, so that's that's a gift. Um, so, but there are people who approach marriage with this mindset of control, and two people of influence that I would warn you of are um, Debbie Pearl and 
her husband, um, and also Lori Alexander, who posts on Instagram and Twitter as the transformed wife, or godly womanhood. Unfortunately, both of these women approach marriage and parenting with a mindset of the husband should control the wife, and together they should control the children. And so it's very result-oriented and very behavior-oriented, and it doesn't so much deal with the heart of why are you acting out, and and let's deal with the attitude behind that, and you know, I'm, I'm listening to my friends about what they do for marriage and the, the common theme that I'm definitely approaching parenting with is, um, you know, if the child's attitude is rebellious, then I'm going to deal with that differently than if the child was trying to do the right thing, but they messed up or maybe they're just having a hard day and they're tired and they need a snack and there's no actual malicious intent behind that. And so, really shepherding the heart attitude of the child and fo- and prioritizing on the direction being correct and that discipline of we want you to learn how to be a responsible human being um, and, and want to be a responsible human being. And we're not going to worry about how that looks so much as that your heart is in the right place and you are respecting God and um then respecting your parents and you know what have you and i feel a need to add an addendum here um you may notice that in ephesians chapter 6 it said honor your father and mother now that may have been a massive guilt trip for you from your parents who may not have dealt with you appropriately or kindly. Um, I know in my family growing up, we had a lot of emphasis on truth and not so much on grace. And um, uh, we, we, we could have had more kindness in my household growing up, but we were, we were too stressed out for that, <laughs> unfortunately. Um, one of the things that I've noticed is that there is nowhere in scripture that it says you have to feel affection for your parents. Let me say that again. There is nowhere in scripture where it says you have to feel affection for your parents. That is the difference. And if I can tangent again, even within marriage, there will be seasons where you do things for your spouse even though you're bored. Even though you don't feel like he's meeting your needs. Or maybe you're going through a hard situation and you just don't have any emotional wherewithal to pour into each other. There are seasons where you do things that are actions that make the other person feel loved even though you do those things without feeling affection. Now, to some of you, that may feel insincere, but the truth is that that is actually godly love. That is what we call agape love. When you're obedient and you 
do something that makes someone else feel loved even though you don't feel affection for them in that moment. And agape love is the most expensive kind of love. Um, and I've talked before about we, we love trusting that we'll be reciprocated. And sometimes... I have seen marriages, and I've seen this multiple times, where for whatever reason, a marriage starts to break down, and the partner who is most faithful to God and to that marriage, God looks out for them. And he does that with children also. And we're going we're gonna to talk about that further along in this podcast about patchwork fatherhood, where God uses the community to, to really minister to us when we don't have a father or we didn't have what we needed from our father. So to come back from that tangent and... Um, I want to touch again on uh, Debbie Pearl and Lori Alexander. Um, I am deeply concerned about what they are teaching. And they are very influential within the trad wife community online. Um, and I, I, I saw a post from a trad wife um, with quite a few followers on Instagram um, where she said that a woman should get her husband's permission to talk with her girlfriends about something. Anything. And in the comment section, I was able to clarify that her intention in saying that was that you know we as women should not be so informed by our girlfriends that we are then using our girlfriend group to control our marriage and i i i was able to read that through the the graphic and the caption um which were poorly written in my personal opinion um because the main point should be clear in your image. Uh, and then the caption should be extra. But that's a formata formatting difficulty. And uh, she did not ask my opinion. So I'm just putting it here. Um, and for those of us who are trauma-informed or trauma-experienced, we will know that very often when there is an unhealthy relationship, we don't realize how bad it was until we get out. And so to tell a wife that she can't talk about anything with her girlfriends or even guy friends that she hasn't asked permission from her husband to talk with them about is extremely controlling. Now, if that is your personal conviction, I applaud you for that. I respect you for that. And the woman who posted this is very disciplined and loving in her marriage. And uh, from what I understand, 
um, the target audience that Debbie Pearl and Lori Alexander and this particular trad wife are trying to communicate to are women who are actively destroying their marriages with their rebellion and selfishness. And particularly when a woman grows up in a healthy family, it can be very easy to become entitled. And so that is the perspective that some of them are coming from. That's their own personal experience. So I can understand their bias um, in speaking as strongly as I do. However, what that particular woman did by posting that and setting that as a mandate and a standard, she's placing her conviction onto other people. And this is something that's not in the Bible. And when we place convictions that are not in the Bible onto other people, we are being Pharisees. Now, I have attempted to communicate with this woman. Um, I, I direct messaged with her a little bit, and um, I sent her three minutes of video footage uh, where I tried to respectfully express my concern. Um, and I did not receive a reply, and I have no knowledge if she even watched it, which that's, that's her prerogative. She has a lot on her plate. She's a busy wife and mom trying to post things on the internet. And anyways, all that to say, I don't think that I could be friends in real life with either Debbie Pearl or Lori Alexander. I might be friends in real life with the other trad wife that I mentioned, and that's why I have left her unnamed. Because it's the ideas that are being espoused and and that are most concerning. And Lori Alexander personally was a very controlling wife, and then she read Debbie Pearl's book, and now she is espousing her viewpoint as if it is the Bible and it's it is not the Bible. There are quite a few things that contradict the Bible and there are very well educated, very doctrinally correct people who have read the Bible and read Debbie Pearl's book and have told others to absolutely not read it under any circumstances. Now, if you are wanting to investigate for yourself for research, that's one thing, but I would recommend that you actually read a review um, that Tim Challies did. I'll link his website in the show notes. Um, he did a review on all of Debbie Pearl's books, at least as far as I know, and it's pretty concerning. So that's where I would point you. Um, It's very sad to me that Lori Alexander would receive correction from Debbie Pearl and then be completely hard-hearted towards anyone else. And because of that, I do not think that I could be friends with her in real life. We might be distant, cordial, polite acquaintances, but I don't think we could be friends. Um, and uh, I... I want to read 1 Corinthians 3 on this um, because 
I have no reason to doubt these individuals' salvation, but I have great reason to question their fruit. And this segment in this chapter truly helps me make peace with that. For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What then is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Now that we have that painful discussion behind us, let us continue on. Let's talk about respectful disagreements. <laughs> Let's go from hard to harder. Uh, yes. So this is really important. And I mentioned before in this episode that you want to say hard but kind things that may hurt. And you don't want to say hurtful things intentionally to to hurt someone. Um, something else that's really important to remember in disagreements is as much as you can, try to focus the discussion to one topic. Because if you start introducing, well, three weeks ago you did such and such and such, that... <laughs> Ben jokes with me that he has a rolling memory of about two weeks. And so after two weeks goes by, he probably doesn't remember it. <laughs> so that's kind of a internal accountability that we have. Um, and when I recorded episode one, I said truthfully that I've been historical once in our marriage. And... Both of us didn't even remember what it was about. So that's one of the blessings of having short accounts. You actually forget what you fought over. Um, but uh, a couple days ago, I did have to bring something up that was from two months back that didn't bother me at the time, but then at the present it did. And, um, that was not ideal, but as much as possible, try to 
keep a disagreement either to one thing or to two things, and even preface it by saying, I realize I'm bringing another topic into this, however, this is related to me, and I, this is connected for me, and I want you to hear this. Um, it is, when you have, in marriage, how you disagree in the beginning sets a tone for your disagreements going forward. And something to be mindful of is that when you disagree, not if, but when, it can be really helpful to, first of all, try to resolve it as quickly as possible. And try to compromise. Try to find the middle ground. It's, it, it, it works best if both of you are trying. If both of you are trying, you can figure something out. If only one of you is trying, then in the long run, that marriage is not going to work. If only one person is trying. Consistently. So, um, and I, I realize there's exceptions to that. It's a generalization, but that's... I stand by it as a generalization. So, so staying on type topic is really helpful because in general, most women, we connect this thing over here with this thing over there. And men, they're like, okay, we're just talking about this and we're just talking about that. And that's easier for them. And it is... <laughs> You want to have successful disagreements. You're going to have them, so you want to have them successfully. And when you do, it's easier if you keep it to fewer things. Um, So, that's what I have to say on that topic. Um, Okay, new hard topic, modesty. Wearing clothes on our bodies that present us in a way that is non-sexual is very helpful for the, for the visually attracted people. Um, and, I mean, all I'm going to say about yoga pants is that if they had been around in Paul's day, he absolutely would have said that they were not appropriate. Um, so that that is where I uh, that is my opinion on yoga pants. Just to right out of the gate, <sighs> which makes me sad because I probably triggered someone, and we might anyways try to hear what I'm saying and not what I'm not saying. Um, I love yoga pants. Uh, I I actually. I wore tights a lot for ballet, and at this point in my life, tights just make me feel sad because I have so much sadness connected to ballet, and so I actually prefer um, bike shorts, which are function the same as yoga pants, um, and you know it's all it's all elastic. Um, it's not appropriate to wear that in public. Um, now. The application of public, that that can be your definition of public versus not. Um, 
but here's what I am going to say. I'm going to try and talk about what we should be wearing. And this has really helped me. So, when God made clothes, and if you go to Genesis, it's chapter either 3 or 4, God made coverings for Adam and Eve. They sewed together fig leaves, and God said, no, no, I'm going to kill some animals and cure their skins and make clothing for you. He made them a tunic. And the definition of the word tunic is from shoulder to knee. And if you think about historically, with different cultural contexts and different expressions, if you were covered from shoulder to knee, in general, you are modest. You are publicly acceptable. Um, and I'm just going to say this for the record. Gentlemen, I don't want to see your shirts off in general. If you're working together with your buddies and it's just you guys, that's one thing. But if we're in a group setting and you don't have a shirt on, I'm not going to be making eye contact with you, okay? I'm going to be, (laughs) not that I'm looking down either. I'm going to be looking to the side. I'm not going to be looking at you at all. So if you are cut and ripped, I don't want to see that. And if you're not cut and ripped, I also don't want to see that either. So um, modesty goes both ways. Um, And there are cultures, (laughs) to get back to the ladies, there are cultures where uh, Victorian England, they wore long dresses to the floor. And so to see a woman's ankles was very indecent. Whatever culture decides to cover up, that then becomes indecent as part of that culture. So if I was living in Victorian England, I would absolutely be wearing my floor-length dresses. If I was living in um, Paul's day, I would be wearing head coverings because very practically speaking, women who were working, who were productive who were good Proverbs 31 women, covered their hair to protect it from debris and dust because they didn't have time or the resources to wash their hair. And so having your hair exposed became a symbol that you were sexually available. That was the cultural communication. And that's why head coverings were very, very important in that day. If I was in Paul's day, I would absolutely be covering my head. I have a good friend, family friend, and many years ago, she was a missionary in Africa, and occasionally she would wear shorts that were above her kneecap. And that was very distracting for the men because all of the women covered their kneecaps. So if I'm in a culture where they cover their kneecaps, I'm going to be covering my kneecaps, those sexy, sexy kneecaps. Mm. So I have a friend now who is ministering in the Middle East and she wears a head covering when she is ministering to those people because that is modest and appropriate in that culture. So if we go with the tunic idea from shoulder to knee, Yeah, spaghetti straps, I get that it's hot. I love me some tank tops. But please don't wear your spaghetti straps to church. Please don't wear your short dresses to church. Um, 
we don't want to see your thighs. And men who are in church to worship God do not want to see your exposed shoulders and legs and midriffs. I'm saying it as your sister. You can don't throw your phone because you'll only hurt yourself. But you can get mad at me all you want. I'm just telling you that this is really important. Here's why it's important. I'm not just going to tell you do this thing and then scold you and then walk away. I'm, I'm a big why person. I need that for myself. Here's why. When you present yourself in a way that is respectable and modest... Number one, you represent Christ well. Number two, you are loving your neighbor. You are loving the man who is easily distracted. You are loving the man who is married and they have health issues and he is horny 90% of the time because their intimacy life is trash. Yeah, stuff like that exists. You are loving the same-sex attracted young woman who is in your dorm. And there are more and more same-sex attracted young women who will not open up about that because they're not at all about to claim any kind of pagan rainbow label. Now, this is an area where it feels unnatural to do things a certain way, different than what we're used to. But your actions in this are a very practical outworking of loving someone even when you don't even when it doesn't feel lovey-dovey or affectionate to you while you do it. And the third reason why I would encourage you to pursue modesty at a very, at a, at a very bare minimum, at least when you go to church and then see what the Holy Spirit tells you to, tells you to do from there, And obey the Holy Spirit. Because there is a blessing for our obedience. And I can't tell you what that blessing is going to be specifically in your life. It could be that men in your church are better able to love you and be patchwork fathers to you. And really... Nourish your soul in a way that prepares you for marriage. It could be that dressing modestly presents you in a way better for a family that wants to introduce you to your son, but they're not sure what kind of girl you are, and the way that you dress determines if they want to make that introduction or not. I don't know what that blessing is going to look like in your life. I'm just thinking up examples off the cuff, but... I myself, 
Let's talk embarrassing moments with Meg. Um, I went to the library once. Very rebellious. Um, I went to the library once dressed in these cute little ankle boots, a very tight skirt, a very tight shirt, and probably some makeup. This was more than two weeks ago, more than ten years ago, so I don't remember the specifics. Um, although I do remember the exact skirt and the exact shirt, and the and I think those were the shoes. Um, and while I was covered from shoulder to knee, it was very skin tight. It was very, look at me, I want to be attractive and I want to be validated. And I walked into the library... And as I walked into the double doors, um, they were sliding doors, there was a young man who walked past me with his hand to the left of his face, literally shielding his eyes from looking at me. And let me tell you, in that moment, I knew before that that I had been disobeying the Holy Spirit in what I was wearing. But I really felt it then. And I was sad. I was sad that my dress made that young man's day harder. That's what disobedience does. It makes our life and the life of those around us harder. So with all kindness I can muster, don't do that. (laughs) Oh my. I really appreciate you sticking with me in this podcast this far. Um, I do have a recommendation. Um, If you want more on the topic of modesty, um, there is a podcast by Rebecca Merkel and Rachel Jankovich. And their podcast is called What Have You, and it is my go-to happy place. Like, they have made me laugh so hard that I have been kneeling on the floor of the grocery store with strangers walking by, concerned for my well-being. Like, that's how hard I've laughed. Um, Specifically at episode 11. Um, However, episode 14... They, they, they live in a college town and so college kids come in every spring and it's a new, new batch of what's the latest trend. And I really like, not just the way they talk about modesty, which is helpful, but specifically I like the way that they talk about making peace with our bodies as we grow older and, um, Their thoughts were just really helpful, and their podcast is just very entertaining. This might surprise you. I actually don't listen to a lot of podcasts. Um, Sound audio is very stimulating for me, so I have recorded way more podcasts than I've ever listened to from anyone else. (laughs) Um, And I don't listen back to my own episodes. I just know, okay, I said a good thing, and that can go out into the world, and my husband listens to it, and then he tells me it was good, and that's, that's kind of... That's the extent of our uh, proof listening process. So um, that is my last tidbit on modesty. As it connects to respect and it, it is connected. It really, 
really is. And again, I would challenge you, there is a blessing for your obedience in this area. And I challenge you to trust God with your wardrobe. So, um, we have talked about, I'm looking at my notes here, what I have left to cover. Ah, okay. So, um, there is a myth that you have, that respect is a feeling. And throughout this episode, I've tried to communicate that respect is, it's a mindset, it's an action, and I, I wouldn't call it a feeling. Now, admiration can be a feeling. Admiration is good, and admiration can fuel respect, but they're not the same thing. You can be respectful while you are downright furious. You're not feeling respectful, but you can still be respectful. There's a difference. Um, you should practice respectfulness with your boss at your workplace. You do not have to like them. As I said at the beginning, I would rather be respected than liked. Because if you respect, if you have mutual respect, you can have a mutual working, you can have a, a working relationship for business. Um, and in, in business, in general, you do what your boss tells you to do. Now, however, if you are aware of, hey, this issue, this thing is an issue, and what you, the instructions that you're giving me would interact with this in a negative way, and you can absolutely respectfully bring up, hey, this issue has an impact on this thing that you're telling me to do, and either what would you have me do differently or I strongly encourage that we handle this in a certain way this way absolutely do that and do that in a way that is not oh gosh the only word that comes to mind right now is smarmy um do that in a way that is you don't have an attitude do it be very factual you can be factual and respectful you know Watch your tone of voice, you know, watch your volume on your voice and, you know, relearn how to have conflict and really fruitful, productive working relationships. If you can learn how to do that in your workplace where you can have a disagreement, kind of resolve it, maybe it's not perfect, but you leave, you go home, you can be with your cat, you can settle, you can curl up in your closet with a blanket and get your bearings and then go back the next day. And my, I've had some really, really hard jobs and I do not want to minimize that. I've had jobs where I didn't have one person telling me what to do. I had multiple people telling me what to do and I couldn't make all of them happy. And it was an experience. Let's, yeah, an experience. Um, that process will strengthen you to have healthy conflict within marriage because you want to resolve it before you're laying down at night so that you can snuggle, um, hold hands, um, you know, maybe have some we love each other, physical intimacy. Um, 
But something to keep in mind is that if you have a boss that you really, really get along with, I would recommend that you notice their character qualities. What are they good at? What is their sense of humor that you really like? What is their communication style? And then when you are looking for a husband, notice those character qualities. Um, A few years before Ben, before Ben and I met and, well, no, hang on. Okay, right around the time that Ben and I met on Twitter, I had a boss that was a very similar personality type. And he and I got along really well. And I'm glad I'm not married to him. Uh, He wasn't a Christian, which makes me sad. Um, But Ben has a lot of similarities to him. And he's very emotionally stable, very even-keeled, very logical, very procedural, very easy to negotiate and work with. Um, And those, those were character qualities that I was looking for that I noticed in him and then I also noticed in Ben and I really appreciated in Ben. (sighs) So, I want to wrap up this episode by talking a little bit about patchwork fatherhood and I've, I've talked about this before but when we don't learn respect in our homes when it's not modeled for us well and if you relate to me unfortunately that is a very common experience for us Um, we have to learn how to respect I remember a very powerful pivotal moment in my life where The day was hard, I was struggling, I was very single, and I was whining at God. Yes, whining at God, and God and I would both call it that. And God said to me, would you speak to your future husband this way? And I said, oh, no, of course not. Because I wouldn't want to whine at my husband like that. Like the tone of voice inside my head was just awful. Not good. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. And the Holy Spirit said to me, Well, why are you talking to me this way? So gentle. So kind. And what I realized in that moment was that If I can't respect God, who is perfect, who has my best interest at heart and has never, ever sinned against me, how can I respect a husband who is sinful and will inevitably sin against me? We have to respect God. Because if we respect God, everything else in life will come into order. If this podcast has 
given you something to think about. Something that you need to work through and process. I would encourage you to click the link in the description. InverseDream.com slash podcast slash marriage. There will be a web form there where you can connect to a digital mentor. This is not a professional counselor, simply a Christian who wants to help you and encourage you on your journey. Thank you so much for listening. My name is Meg, and I love my Jesus, and I believe in living inside out. Now it's your turn. Go and live it.